Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I am here with... Carlos Cooper. And Joe Hilliard. And we're here to do what we always do, which is talk movies, but I feel like we're going for movies on a a little more... Uh, esoteric level here this week than, we're than doing, what we've been doing recently. We're doing film with a capital F. I guess so, yeah. Cinema. Cinema right? with I a mean, capital C. Yeah. Yeah. So th- th- this is uh, n- not to say that not that all the films we do aren't worthy of, of some kind of critical attention, but I think these ones are ones that critics relish and, and critics really get excited about. I, I was thinking yeah. about it all the way over here. These are films, both of them, that remind me that not all films are made for all people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's there a, are certain types of films that just aren't going to appeal to oh, the yeah. general widespread public. Well, and that's and the reality is is that we even when we're in a genre like horror, which is a very much a working class genre, I would say mm-hmm. it, it's for a specific subset of that working class, no uh, doubt. And we also like to drink beers that maybe aren't for everybody. That's <laughs> yeah, true. And I and it is possible that this uh, beer today will fall into that category. I don't know. I have I have tasted this already, and which is one of the th- reasons that I wanted to bring it to the table today. But this is from Blue Owl Brewing, which is out of Austin. They Love are a brewery that does sours, specifically sours mm-hmm. of all kinds. Um, and this is one of their seasonal offerings. So mostly kettle sours, right? They, mostly they, kettle they, sours. They focus yeah. on the yeah. But yeah. you know, I've, a, I've had sour IPAs from them. Sure. I've had sour stouts. Oh yeah, from they them. they I've love had, playing around you know, with bringing the sourness to all kinds uh, of different. Yeah. They have a bustling, very busy tap room. Yep. I've never been to the tap room, but that's good to Usually know. Usually a food truck or two on site and nice. always packed and hard yeah. to find parking. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and a brewery that honestly I can say that I don't think that I've had a beer from them where I was like, that sucked. They totally missed the mark on this one. You know, I've felt differently from this is good to wow, this is amazing and the things I've had Agreed. from them over the years. But I've never had anything where I was just like, man, they really fucked this one, you know? When I, went, when I went to the tap room, I bought a t-shirt and then the next day in Austin, I ate a barbecue sandwich and the the tail end came out <laughs> of the sandwich Onto all the over brand my new brand shirt. new t-shirt Ugh. and it was unsalvageable. Oh. You, hate, you hate to see it. But nice. I saw this at the grocery store and I passed it up maybe like two or three times because... You know, they are a craft brewery. It's a specialty thing. So we're talking like a $15 six pack, more Mm -hmm. or less. And I was like, do I really need to spend that money on this right now? And after the like third time I saw it, I was like, yeah, 100% I do. (laughs) I do need to spend the money on this. So So I picked it up and this is a pastry gosa. It is a sour peach cobbler. It's a seasonal offering from them and it has peaches, milk, sugar, salt, cinnamon and vanilla is a very modest four percent um but i'm very excited to drink this and i'm very excited to see what y'all think about it and you know it does kind of tie into our film a little bit because (laughs) one of the stars of the film we are about to speak of timothy chalamet uh once fucked a peach Just leave it there. Just leave it at that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's all we need to say at this point. Uh, (laughs) I'm gonna get a little in my glass. True enough. Yes. Uh, So cracked it open. Nice light. I mean, I love the color on that. Light pills. Very light pilsner yellow. Yeah. It is. Is it is Mm. very light beer. It is very crispy in my experience. Definitely getting the peach. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely getting the vanilla. 
And it, I mean, it does come across as a, a little bit cobblery. There, there's something in there that's a little like pastry um, wafting up. I guess it's probably some of that milk sugar. And yeah, uh, yeah beautiful. I have, so, I have, I have so much I want to say just based on what you've said so far, because I've already had it. And oh. So I'm hearing y'all's okay. initial that, reactions, but I'm not going to. All of that flowery language. Could, could we be more pretentious? <laughs> we could. Yes, well, here we go. I mean, we, if we were Wes Anderson. The full title so. of the film is The French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. We call it The French Dispatch around here. It is an anthology film. That's mm-hmm. new. Written, directed, produced by Wes Anderson from a story he conceived with Roman Coppola, who he's worked with on screenplay before. Jason Schwartzman, of course, the star of Rushmore, but they've collaborated on some screenplays as well. And Hugo Guinness. I imagine that some, uh, you know, financier took a pitch meeting from Wes Anderson and they told Wes Anderson, you have put as much Wes Anderson into one film as you could have with the Grand Budapest Hotel. You can't put any more Wes Anderson into your next film. And Wes Anderson said, oh, yeah? (laughs) Because this film from from beginning to end through the credits the beginning the title sequences the black and white versus color the uh, change and shifts in as- screen aspect ratio the inclusion of an animated portion like 2D animation during a, a fun car chase uh, the props I mean everything we know about Wes Anderson right mm-hmm. the, the really kind well, of well the obsessive detail yeah that, that that that's certainly there though even in that list you just gave me black and white have we seen that with Wes Anderson before no not to my knowledge and that is, so this and is, that is you're, something you're, you, without even thinking about it you've just dropped new elements in there I think that's something important to keep in mind folks a little asterisk there okay. Wes Anderson repeats himself but brings in new things each I would, time. I All would right. like to talk about the black and white later. Yeah. So the French Dispatch is a insert that goes into the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. It was created and still uh, run by Bill Murray. However, uh, as the as the uh, editor in chief of it, it, it is in France, a city called Ennui. And I forgot the rest Ennui of it. Ennui de Blase. Yeah, I mean, or I think it's just Ennui. Hilarious. Well, though. I think the full name is right. Yeah, um, Ennui en Blase. And because the Bill Murray character has died in his will. He said, I want the publication of this magazine to end following one more, um, (laughs) pretty comic and how that's all explained. Yeah. One more issue that is going to be a retrospective of some of our favorite stories from the past. So what the film does is then present itself, the anthology portion as three, probably four, maybe even five little, not little, but vignettes. Yeah. Um, as if they're essays. As in if this you're reading the yeah. magazine, but mm-hmm. in film form. So you've got the first one, The Cycling Reporter, which stars Owen Wilson as just that. He f- goes around France on his bicycle, and he's basically f- like painting the picture of what this world is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then you've got three larger pieces in a row The Concrete Masterpiece. This is um, mostly, there's so many freaking people, I'm sure we'll talk about most of them, but it's basically Benicio Del Toro is an inmate who is in prison for life for double murder, but becomes in prison an artist that Adrian Brody wants to be and becomes his agent, and then hilarity ensues. And and the whole thing was written, that, that story for the French Dispatch was written by Tilda Swinton, who is the narrator of that piece. Then the second one, Revisions to a Manifesto, stars Frances McDormand as the reporter, and she's now in the story, as opposed to a telling of the story 
from the well, first one. Well, and and Swinton was in hers too, even though right, she's telling you're it. Right. Yeah, but but there, it's framed in that way of her giving an art right, lecture. Right. This is more about like full blown, well, mostly it, black and white. Timothy Chalamet plays a young revolutionary writing a manifesto, and Francis McDormand plays the reporter who then gets into a relationship with him and helps him uh, adapt and, and, and edit his manifesto. Then the third one, my favorite, the private dining room of the police commissioner. This is Jeffrey Wright's show in the mm-hmm. biggest way, uh, who plays the food critic of the F- French Dispatch, who is being interviewed by Liev Shriver on a 60s television show and some of the most beautiful, stunningly cinema cinematography of the whole film the set of that television show um god and you could say that over and over and over again Mm -hmm. as he recounts how food and uh, a story that he wrote about the food uh that was being cooked for a police commissioner helped thwart a kidnapping plan for the for the police commissioner's son and then that's all tied up by the the different reporters we didn't mention on the staff is Elizabeth Moss and Jason Schwartzman in smaller, very much smaller right. roles, writing the obituary. Griffin Dunn, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, they're, they're writing these the characters that you almost don't together. even get more than a line from if you're lucky sure. uh, in the yeah. entire film. Yeah. And yeah. I, I said a lot just then, so I'll be quiet for a little while. But I mean, it's a dense <laughs> but it's film. It's a lot to take on. It's, it's like, a dense film. It is a very dense film. With, with, with Wes Anderson fucking trying to do as much as he can with every centimeter of the Dense, frame but do you feel like it's weighted down? I, I feel like it's pretty airy and breezy in the way that it kind of I'm going to go see it along. again so I can just digest everything that well, was not only the story, but the, the, the images on screen right. were happening so fast and furious that I don't I know I didn't even get it all. Yeah, Vin Diesel did make a cameo too, which was interesting. Might as well have. Uh, <laughs> Everyone in Hollywood was in this movie for five seconds at well, least. The it, thing it, that <laughs> I find the most interesting about this movie is that as his career progresses, Wes Anderson has a very singular kind of take on filmmaking that I find to be almost oxymoronical in a certain way. Like I find the French, the French dispatch to be a very quaint film, Mm. but I also find it to be very grandiose in scale and the way that it's presented. Yeah. And you don't often describe two films in, or uh, uh, describe a film film in two ways as both of those things, but this is both of those things in a strange way, but in a way that's not strange at all because he has, such a strong grasp on who he is, what he's trying to do, his visual style, his uh, storytelling style, the way that he directs his actors, the way he casts his films, all of that. It just all makes so much sense. And it all, it's like, it's like when you hear Thriller or beat it and you're like, oh yeah, the song has always been this way. It's always existed this way. And then you hear the demos of Michael Jackson, like working out the words and melody mm-hmm. to, to beat it or thriller. And you're like, wait, that didn't just come out of you. Like, <laughs> like it didn't just always exist. Wasn't it fully formed. It's, it's fully like, realized. it's like, it's like the way that, you know, it's seemingly Michael Jackson's pulling these things out of the ether and fully formed ideas. It feels that same way with Wes Anderson where it's like, oh, he just, he grabbed this out of like the platonic realm yeah. of film. Put it in a you know what I mean? And he was just like, this is it. Let mm-hmm. me get it and give it to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. But and, it's, and like, but it's like obviously earlier, way more complicated than that. Like, he worked very hard on this. As his career has gone on with some ups and downs, his films might be failing to, to convert 
new people to them. You either are or aren't a Wes Anderson. This is not fan a movie that's this will be a conversion. But <laughs> you say that, but the, but then he's actually had a pretty good track record. Moonrise Kingdom, I think, actually did win him some new fans. Sure. Had a bit broader of an audience, almost like a family film of sorts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little odd of a family film, but still, it had some of that appeal. Um, Isle of Dogs, Isle of Dogs to thing. an extent, it certainly pulls in. I think whenever he does like Fantastic Mr. Fox or the, uh, you know, he brings in a slightly different audience. And Grand Budapest was probably his biggest hit. I think it was his I biggest moneymaker so, yeah. thus far. It, 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 and it had it pulled, all those things that he does yeah. that we listed already, but it had a very palatable, enjoyable story. Right. And I right. wonder One that made if sense, the yeah. people that wander in off the street to go to French Dispatch because yeah. they like Timothy Chalamet, for yeah. example. Uh, or they saw a, a funny thing in a trailer and they want to go see a comedy, yeah. are, are, are going to be able to fully appreciate this, the, the general filmmaking audience. I, I'm not quite sure that they can. Yeah, well, it's I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Does that sound pretentious? I don't mean it to. I mean, it... Not pretentious. It's it's. I think in its own way, it is kind of a strangely challenging film if you don't come to it with certain bits of foreknowledge, right? Like if you know Wes Anderson's work, if you're a fan of, or even just aware of the New Yorker. I shouldn't say because I'm not really a fan of the New Yorker, but I know it well enough to know how he is echoing it in some of the imagery and the idea of these long form essay articles mm-hmm. where the you know the uh, reporters themselves become parts of the story often mm-hmm. the um you know i think so there there are things in there and obviously which we'll be talking about more in the latter half of the episode his love of film history and how he's always brought in references here and there to other films but this film in particular i think he really just Flat kind of homage. opens up yeah. the floodgates to just all these things that I've loved about, especially French cinema. Yeah. Um, and I won't even pin it to just French New Wave, though we are going in that direction in the, in the second half um, for good reason. But, you know, French cinema in general, world cinema to a certain extent, even some American cinema, even some Hollywood stuff, there's mm-hmm. clearly this interest in kind of bringing together these things. And like you said, Joe, creating various little direct uh, references or homages to various things that he's or loved flat out, flat and, out, and kind uh, of like a duplications way. of scenes to an extent, but I think not uh, quite as maybe blatant as Tarantino. Yeah, but. not quite as blatant, not quite as flippant, and the characters themselves aren't as aware. You know what I mean? Uh, with yeah, Tarantino, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like the characters are playing with pop culture and do this. Yeah. This, it's more he is director is kind of setting in the set design and all that are yeah. setting things mm-hmm. up in a way that's like visually. And, and at times orally, reminding you of these things of the past, if you have those those touch points to have. But I agree with you, Joe. I don't think this is the film. Like, if it, never will this be the Wes Anderson film when somebody comes to me and says, "Okay, what's the deal with Wes Anderson? Should I see what film should I start with? What would you start them with? Rushmore. That's mine. That's my I mean, answer. Rushmore is probably right there with Moonrise Kingdom for me. I think those are probably two of the more approachable ones. I th- I just don't think that Rushmore Royal is Tenenbaums Wes Anderson. Would be in there too. I think I think Royal Tenenbaums is when Wes Anderson becomes Wes Anderson. Agreed. And so I think you don't think he was there with Rushmore. There's hints. I I do think that he was, but I don't. And the, this is something Kylie and I talked about as we were leaving the French Dispatch, um, and my friend Nathan as well that. With Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, he obviously has a vision. He obviously has an aesthetic. He obviously is an artist with a particular point of view and with a particular way that he wants to do things and present things. Yeah. But it 
I don't think it's really until Royal Tenenbaums that he has enough money to be as detail-oriented as he wants to be. Because in Rushmore, I mean, he's filming at a school that exists sure. already, right? right? So he's not able to completely build, build his in world the, yeah, in right, the yeah. very precise way that he wants. The handwriting I mean, on the chalkboard. There the, 100% um, is the less opening, framing uh, is the there. The framing is there. Yeah. The color palette's there. I mean, to the on-screen titles. With the titles on yes, them. November, no, there, October. Yeah. there are those things there. It's, it's, it's moving in that direction. But, but it's not until Royal Tenenbaums where I feel like yeah. he really is 100% like everything about the colors, the set design, the framing, yeah. the casting, the direction, everything becomes exactly what he wants it to be with Royal Tenenbaums. He's still uh, he's, he's still kind of scrappy on Rushmore, I guess is what I'm saying. No doubt. He's still kind of underdog indie, yeah, you know, making it work with what he's got. You know, and then I mean if we want to talk about this fucking movie, I mean, this is I thought that Grand Budapest was peak Wes Anderson. Like when I saw that movie, I was like, this is the most Wes Anderson-y that Wes Anderson could ever become. Wrong. Right. <laughs> French Dispatch. I well, mean, he is 100% I hear you, but I think he's also doing it. some different stuff here. Oh, no, and no, 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 he is. No, I, no, I, but I think just, just like the, sorry, David, just like the transition from Rushmore to Tenenbaums and then Tenenbaums to Team Zizou because then it's the... Life Aquatic, yeah. That's what I meant. You were the, really uh, sure. the, the, the open set that we see here again, that we see now here. A couple times. The animation yeah. of the fish yeah. that we now are going to incorporate yeah. some animation. It's almost as if each film he's tweaking and refining his bag of tricks. So when I say that, and Carlos, I think I, I think you'll agree with me, when this is the most Wes Anderson-y, it's because, David, he's bringing new tricks to the game. Yeah. And, and now we can, he can, I wonder if he will, the next film, enhance it even more and use them all again? Yeah. Or maybe go well, back to a given, Rushmore full-blown narrative start to finish. I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I feel like we're kind of skipping over. I want to talk about this film oh, a little bit the more specifically. I, get, yeah. Get there, get there. Go but, ahead. But we do, I do want to maybe at the end of the segment talk a little bit speculatively about what directions we might imagine him going mm -hmm. in the future. Definitely. But this film, like, to get specific about some of the things that I love, I mean, I love this film. I th I've seen it twice already. Yeah, I want to see it again. I may, I I may try time. to sneak into it to see it again, you know, here I, before it leaves going. theaters, because it is just one of those fun movies to watch on the big screen. I never wish, gets dull for a moment for me. Like there's always something good. I so, wish this was on HBO Max instead of Dune, because I would much <laughs> rather watch this at home. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I love it on the big. No, screen. No, I, I loved it on the big screen. Yeah. But that's, earlier that's today, a full frame. I had you know some free time and I was you like, I could, just, I could just yeah. put French Dispatch on right now. I yeah, could just put it on that, and watch yeah. it and yeah. have a good time and if I have to stop at the end of the first vignette or the second vignette or whatever, like I could live with yeah. that but like I would just love to have this on right, right now while I'm eating a donut. Oh, David, so, you're, you're eager. Go ahead. So there is, you know, a preciousness to it that we associate with Wes Anderson. Everything is just so. Everything is in its right place. You got, you, you know, shots are just framed you know, so that you capture every little detail that's that's there in the mise-en-scene. So all of that's there, but I mean, he brings in, we've already talked about the black and white, which he's using to some extent to signal time shifts, but actually... But in not a really. No, not always, and not consistently, and it becomes much more lyrical. It becomes mm -hmm. something that's more like uh, it's a, very a little, poetic. it's almost like italics that he's using at certain moments in it to like set yeah. some little pieces off because... Sir Ronan's eyes... 
Yes, right. Within certain sequences, we'll get like, or the first time uh, we see uh, Benicio del Toro and uh, um, uh, Leah Seydoux go into the little chamber together, like the room that's black and white suddenly goes color. I mean, like there are just moments where he decides to switch from one to the other. There are other times where it seems more like a shift back in time. So I love that he plays around with the color black and white thing. Isn't it, but isn't it so interesting that, okay, so... Here's a quick little story. I The first time I ever saw a single frame of Darjeeling Limited, I'd never seen this film. I didn't even know about it. Uh-huh. Walked into my friend Nathan's house. It was Nathan and our friends Daniel and Lauren, uh, who were a couple at the time. And we, I, I came in later. They were probably 30 minutes into the movie. And I'm looking at it, and I see it, and I'm like, oh, is this Wes Anderson? And they were like, yeah, it is. Yeah. How did you know? And I was like... I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, was it the color palette? Was yeah. it the color palette that gave, uh, that gave it away? And I was like, no, actually, it's kind of like the oddly symmetrical framing yeah. of the shots that to that's me was, it was that's two I, weeks in a row, uh, Carlos, where you can identify a film, the film's director, Michael Bay and Wes Anderson. Yeah, no, you can. I mean, but but really, you can't. You and, can. But but the reason that I tell that story was because to me, I guess for whatever reason, my particular disposition wasn't the color palette necessarily, but it was how oddly symmetrical a lot of the way he frames people and conversations and things like that, mm-hmm. dialogue specifically, I feel like. Um, but for a lot of people, it's like, oh yeah, you can tell by the color palette that it's sure. a Wes Anderson because yeah. color is such a big part of his signature. And that's still and there. This, b- yes, but... This movie is largely black and white. Well, I mean, that's yeah, a very half. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's more than half. It's got a lot. It's got a it's lot. It's 75% black so and white. I love that it does something that, you know, hey, other films have done it, right? Him, Wizard you know? of Oz, uh, you know, Memento. We have these filmmakers who have played around well, with no, this before. But, but my thing is, how many filmmakers have done this after becoming so well known for their use of color? Right. Good point. And I think on top of that, how many filmmakers have done it in a way that does not neatly align with we're going black and white for a flashback or we're going black yeah. and white we're in a, when we're in a different realm like Kansas versus yeah. uh, Oz. Oz yeah. So I, I like that he trusts the audience enough and trusts his own storytelling enough that he feels that he can play around with that in ways that sort of just more accents to certain moments in the film rather than because that is what it is steadfast rules it's it's italicizing now i think that part of it is it's trying to bring this experience of reading the new yorker to the screen right and then what's the new yorker your black and white print and then these color uh you know uh images interspersed through illustrations there so there's that kind of mix that you get in experiencing that also when we go into the animated sequences which we haven't really talked about that. that Definitely echo some of the art of New Yorker, but also if you went to the Alamo pre-show, they kind of show so the Tintin connection. I think is pretty hard I, I to. Don't think uh, we were there in time for that. Yeah, they, they show a little uh, advertisement with, t- but you know the character I'm talking about. Spielberg did this film Tintin a few years back. It's based on these graphic novels. You know, that, I don't pay attention. To okay, Spielberg. well, yeah, but these are and, th- and those are classic. And, and I would like to point out that. The moment that the West Side Story trailer came on, uh-huh. David was like, I'm out of this bitch. Oh, I've he seen got it enough times. And he walked oh, out it's, it's a and good, he waited until it was over to come back it's in. It's a good piss break thing. You know, that, that's <laughs> yeah, because perfect. it's not worth watching. Taking no, piss I've, breaks during the trailers? I've I've seen West Side Story's trailer five or six times yeah. in the theater. David now. got up the second okay. tonight. <laughs> David's like, I'm out of here. So, so color black and white and animated. Love the mix of all the different approaches to cinematography and that it's in, in that I think it goes together very smoothly. Um, 
It, so, so love that. Love that he's opening up the kinds of characters that he's following in the in the film. Like, I don't know that I've seen as many people comment on this as I think should because look, his films have always been about immature guys for the most part. Guy who people grab in women to a certain extent. I mean, care. They, they, he's brought in some female characters, but often it's like you know. Arrested development figures, right? These mm-hmm. these characters who can't mature, who are old, haven't you know, have some hang up that's keeping wealthy, them from being poor. Able to, I mean, all over the he, gamut. But you're right, right that, that right. is a commonality that this, along, amongst a lot of. And that's male not the obsession here. I mean, no. one could make the argument that Timothy Chalamet has a little bit of that in his character in the in the second story, but it's not an overriding theme in it. And really, no, this, but it's kind of the point of a character like that. To an extent, and I think the story is really more about Francis McDormand's character, yeah. ultimately. But, but you know, Benicio who Del Toro... Has, who has always, let's just take a moment, I mean, oh, fucking crushes it. Like, oh, who, her and Tilda Swinton and Jeffrey Wright definitely, I think, are the heart of the film uh-huh. in terms of performances. And, 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 let's, uh, and let's remind I, I, I everyone... I might disagree about Tilda Swinton. Let's, let's really? remind everyone, oh. they're, they're the three reporters who have written each of right. these three the stories. The longer stories, yes. right. Yes. And I do want to point out so maybe we'll delve into the individual stories. They are short films that the conceit is that they're written by three different reporters. So they're three different styles of right. of screenplay yeah. and and direction to encapsulate. And then even the Owen Wilson one, which was cute but very short. And like I said, the I, and it's, I fucking love. But, but it was he oh, I think was, it was great. I he think was great. the reporter for that yeah. one, and you can tell that he's a bit of a goofball yeah. because yeah. his segment was very goofball-y. Yeah. He, but then the, rides but, his bike down yeah. the. So I, I just wanted to point that out that funny. it's not just three short films by Wes Anderson, s- brought together with this common thread of the newspaper, but it's three chances for him to tell three very different types of stories with yeah. very different types of characters. Yeah, which is why the cast is so large because yeah. each one has. There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, ten different characters for yeah, each yeah. of the three larger pieces. Yeah, and. My point about Francis McDormand a moment ago was that of current modern day thespians, who crushes it as consistently as her? I mean, I can't think her until the swing. Her until the swing. I mean, those two people. I can't think of anybody who has more consistent bangers. You know, it's no. like it's like you know how or it's it's like they put ten number one albums out in a row. You know, yeah. like shit like that. It's mm-hmm. like every time that I see one of them on screen, they are fucking crushing it. They're making the exact right decisions. Mm -hmm. They're going exactly as far or as tamed as they should and just killing it every single time. But you know who else crushes it? Liev Schreiber in a a five-minute role. No, no, he's great. And... Jeffrey, Henry and Winkler Jeffrey Wright has the line. <laughs> well, he, he actually does. I, I you know, know when I came out of the first the first time, I said, "Did Henry Winkler even speak?" And Aaron and I had seen it together. She's like, "No, I don't think he did. He did. He did. He, he does the first time he's yeah. introducing the idea of do." But I just, him it's and, funny him, how quickly these things go by. Him yeah. and Bob Balaban as brothers. Yeah, is yeah. Some of my favorite shit. Also, as Uncle Stage comes Brody. in for yeah. thirty seconds <laughs> and fucking made me laugh so Who? hard. Christoph Waltz. Oh, Christoph Waltz was good. Yeah, he has this I, crazy yeah. 70s haircut or whatever you know whatever yeah, era that was it was, yeah, no, it was, bad, it was 60s bad. i guess and and he comes in uh, for a blind date yeah. with a with Francis McDormand who does not want to be on that date yeah. i had and no idea he was in this movie it, uh, exactly yeah. and the lady next to me one seat between us stranger mm-hmm. that's henry winkler 
you're right but he didn't come in and, and like wink at oh, the camera no no, he had no. This i was just face. i was imagining the woman next to you wanting him to do yeah, that. Right, right. <laughs> perf- perf- he didn't even hit a jukebox one time no not one time no he was great i no. mean he was great i i loved again i loved him and bob alaban i loved adrian brody oh god i loved adrian brody was incredible adrian brody yeah. is a fucking national treasure. Yeah. I'm so glad that he had the pianist to like get his like critical uh, moment of recognition because in, in uh, Grand Budapest too, he he delivers a comic. He uh, gives an amazing performance in Grand Budapest, but I feel like without the pianist, Adrian Brody's career gets largely overlooked. Uh-huh. And I okay. I'm glad that he had that one like yeah. flash in the pan moment of where everybody was like this fucking guy so, because he's a great fucking actor. He's so good and he's fantastic in this movie. Right. And I just think that. I think Jeffrey Wright has so the voice good. of God. Yeah, he's so like, good. Like, I mean, my God, this Especially man's Especially this character. It's so yeah. dramatic the way that he talks in this and, movie. And through time, the different hairstyles. Though he that... can change. I mean, I, he's I was actually talking after the film with, with David, who David, I went yeah. to the film with, and he, you know... He, he liked Jeffrey Wright too, but like, you know, what else has he been in? And like, oh, well, he was Basquiat. He was, uh, you was know. Was he Basquiat? In, yeah. He, I mean, he West he World. was in uh, Westworld. He was yeah. in the. Uh, I've seen him in things for sure. I mean, Broken Flowers, one of my favorite performances. Jim Very Jim different. Moose, right? He plays like a stoner, uh, I think Haitian, who lives next door to, I mean. To Bill he, Murray. He can really, he, he has a chameleon-like ability to a certain extent where he mm-hmm. can kind of slide into actor, different yeah. roles. And yeah, so I love seeing him knock one out of the park like he does in, in this. In a more leading situation, yeah, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, did, across David, the board. did you finish your list of all the things you loved about it? No, well, the things that I that stood out to me is like in yeah. terms of the approach to cinematography, the approach to the story, the very story that's being told, the kind of characters he looks at. And I think the fact that it was, you know, that it shifts gears and that he decided to do something that was more anthology here with, with this and this conceit of trying to echo or create some kind of facsimile of the experience of reading through one of these kind of, you know, human interest magazines that would just have stories like this in them. You know, it, it's a bold attempt on his part. And I think you're right, Joe, that probably it means that it's not going to appeal to as many people as some of these other films that there he's done There weren't that have. many people there when we saw it. Well, it's hard, you know, and it's hard to parse that right now with like, is that COVID depressing the types of people No, because who... I saw Eternals and it was packed. Well, okay. But let me finish. <laughs> is it COVID depressing or pushing back the types of people who would more likely go to see an indie film versus those who are bold enough to go. I mean, like, no, that's a good I know that's lots good of people at the gun range with their masks down since like April of 2020 who will show up for the Eternals on day yeah. one because it's yeah, MCU, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm t- you're right. No, you're <laughs> but, right. You're right. But I'm saying like the people who are more Look, cautious I, I and careful. I just played golf. I mean, and the people that go to the golf how much course right more now. Twee is wearing a mask. I mean, that's yeah. that you're, you're, yeah, you're yeah, in yeah. Wes Anderson territory. If you have the embroidered mask with all that. For yeah. sure. For sure. For sure. Okay, so what was your favorite of the that's vignettes? Exactly what I was about to ask. I already gave my card up. It's the kidnapping one. The kidnapping yeah, one. The food one. One hundred percent unequivocally, I loved Benicio del Toro's. Yeah. It was yeah. my favorite. So beautiful. I loved it. I I thought it was great seeing Homeboy from Grand Budapest show up in it as a young yeah. Benicio del Toro. That was great. The transition. I um, thought that was kind of a funny it little was, touch. It I, was fun. Another thing that I've never seen anybody do before. Now I'm sure it's a reference to something. That's how because yeah, I know yeah. Anderson's deep, and there probably is 
a Jean-Luc Godard film where somebody jumps in time and they use a different actor and he yeah, has him yeah. switch out by actually tapping his shoulder or something. Yeah. But I've not seen it before, I, you know? I, I, I mean, I liked that. I liked his relationship with the guard. I loved Adrian Brody in it. I yeah. loved... <laughs> I loved the fact that at the end of it, he like created this art in like an almost immovable structure. The alfresco on the concrete wall and in the, and, and the, the way prison, that it, yeah. and the way that Adrian Brody lost his fucking mind. I, oh, it was also, great! Yeah, I also loves loved, it, hates it, loves it again. <laughs> yeah, I also loved that. You know, they did it in that scene with the fresco, but they also did it when they were like touring Simone and Selbach, whatever, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's these scenes where it's like a, it's almost like a, it's almost like a painting in and of itself. Like all of the characters are still, there's like bottles in the air and stuff. Yeah. 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 But, it's not a freeze frame. No. Those actors are there because you right. can see them kind of move a little bit. Like yeah. they're just holding still. And I really loved the way that he did that because mm. I mean, and, and you know, it may, there's there's this thing sometimes that I feel happens where and it's you know genius is in simplicity right sometimes the simplest ideas are the most genius and they're the kind of ideas or the kind of things that happen where it's like oh I can't believe nobody's done that before nobody's thought about that before that makes so much sense but it's something that has not really happened or something that you don't see very often and it's like this thing that certain people can tap into and i feel like just the parallel of creating these frames of film that resemble paintings and works of art that mirror what the subject matter of the vignette is like it's obvious yes when we look at it now because it's happened do you know what i mean yeah like because he did it and it's like oh yeah that makes so much sense but how many people would have done that but don't you feel the film is filled with things like wes anderson day saying look what i can do look what i can do well i don't know if it's see i don't i don't don't feel like he's stunting i I feel like he is i didn't say that i'm just saying well he's he's he he's the kind of filmmaker you have a relationship with as the viewer so a Wes Anderson film's out, I'm going to be there. You know what I mean? That, that's yeah. just the way I am. And even though this is not even going to go into my top five Wes Anderson films, like if I put them on a list, after the first viewing, that could shift after the second viewing, like I said yeah. earlier. It's very dense. The pace of the dialogue, I when we were watching it, I wished that I was watching it with subtitles because the dialogue it. goes yeah. so fast. And it's Non-stop. so And it's so poetic, and it's so, like... There's so much. I mean, he's packing a lot yeah. of content well, into a not a ton of words, and it's like you know a New I mean? Yorker essay. It's like these little asides yes. that kind of go off. Like you, and the so Jeffrey I wish Wright that I was one where he's going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah I hear what you're saying. Because I, I'm 100 positive that I missed things. While I know all, for a fact I missed things the first viewing. Yeah, while all I four, need a second. Point. While all four corners of the frame are filled with visual gags. Ex- exactly. You know, I mean, it's so which much we'll talk to take more in about in the second half of the episode too. I feel. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. It's marvelous. I. I guess where I was. What, what I was saying is, that, you know, when you say like, look what I can do. I don't think he's doing it just to show off. I think he's doing these things because he envisions them. He knows he's watched so many films. And he's loved so many different types of filmmaking. And yes, he has those things that he's hung up on, like the symmetrical framing, the the keeping things, you know, very neat and orderly, the, the sort of dollhouse aesthetic mm-hmm. of, of a lot of the stuff that he does. Like that's 
probably always going to be there. I don't know that he can ever. I mean, it's he, it is almost like he he's got a little bit of OCD when it comes to mise en scene w- yeah. with his films. But then seeing how he will try to throw in these different elements and play around with them, I don't think it's just like oh look what I can do. I think it's more along the lines of. I've seen this done before and I've seen it work really well. I want to see if it can work well for me telling this kind of story. And that's the most exciting thing to me here because I don't know. It's hard to say what my top five would be, but this is probably in there. I mean, I don't know that it's in the one or two position right now, but I think in terms of seeing him stretch and do some things that I didn't know necessarily that he was going to be capable of... Or even, or even, or I'm even excited. willing to try, and that's yeah. why when you were saying earlier, where will this go next? I'm excited to see, and I don't know that I'm necessarily convinced that I I know what that direction sure. is going to be because I wouldn't have predicted. I have no this. idea. I have no idea what he's going to do. He's already wrapped because shooting for the next I, film. Because really, I, yeah. Because remember, this one was was so wrapped yeah, was two years delayed. ago. That's right. Yeah. You know, so uh, uh, during the New I just York didn't film know he'd gotten another. Yeah, I watched off. a YouTube video of a of a of a. Uh, interview uh, he was uh, he and Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman and Adrian Brody were uh, overseas somewhere wrapping shooting okay. uh, on a film while Jeffrey Wright and other characters were in in New York for the film festival oh, okay. and uh, it, was, it was about a 30 minute deal it's worth checking out yeah I, I mean I thought when I saw Grand Budapest that this was the most Wes Anderson-y that Wes Anderson could ever get <laughs> and the fact that he kind of outdid himself on this one makes me realize that like I have no hope of predicting what he's going to do next or what I've I've read and watched a couple of things where people some people are feeling that there was a law of diminishing returns here that he went uh, a smooch too far no I disagree Uh, and and I'm not with those people I'm a a devotee I'm gonna check out the next one and the next one and the next one until he stops making movies or I die uh, and that's the relationship I intend on having with this man till death do us part. Okay, so uh, David, top yeah. five Wes Anderson. Oh, well, hold on, hold on. Did everyone say their favorite vignette from this movie? Oh, I don't think David said what his was. I I think I'd go with the concrete masterpiece too. I yeah. mean, that, that's, was that I, I like those. Can't fault you. I like that and the uh, the one that Joe picked, which I don't remember the title, the private dining room one, that, probably the most. Yeah. Um, I, I, not that I even think that the manifesto I like the one manifesto. was, was I liked weak, it, but it was, but it, it didn't pull me in quite as much. Right. Um, I liked what it was doing. I found it funny. Um, I found Francis McDormand great, but I do think that, yeah, the Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody dynamic in the first one Benicio was, del Toro is just so fucking good. And let's say Timothy great, Chalamet yeah. crushes it. I, he's I, again, great. No, he's that's great. Two, that's two he's weeks hilarious. in a row. Yeah. Uh, I walked out of French Dispatch and I was looking at him on the Dune poster right across the hall. Every, every and bit of I was the sexuality that he uh, was Lina, involved in was L- I thought Lina was hilarious. Kudry, the the young the female the love interest. Helmet. Yeah, she was pretty she was good. Great. I don't really know her from much else, but she Never looked seen her like an actor who would have been in a French New Wave film. Like her yeah. face yeah. looked very yeah. French New Wave yeah. to me. I Every time that. I saw her on screen, I could almost, I'm could. i like, you could insert this shot into a Truffaut film. Yeah. And yeah. I totally believe that this was a uh, French it, yeah. girl and you could circa see, 1960. You could see him, like I said, dire- directly giving homage to all of those classic French directors. Yeah. Uh, uh, many of which we have not discussed on this show, but I mean, Tati, uh, the Godard's all in that second, uh, the, yeah. the manifesto one, especially the black and white of course sequences, which totally makes sense. Yeah. But uh, so, uh, Carlos, you had thrown down a challenge. 
Yeah, oh, top the five. Top West five, Anderson. top five. Yeah. What are your top? I mean, I don't think he's has he he hasn't made ten films, has he? Is this his ninth? Mm, that that sounds about right. I mean, I'd have to count them up here, but you know, you so got... you have more <laughs> films to work with than not. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, we. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, we've already mentioned. Just Rush, go with your gut. Rushmore and Moonrise Kingdom. I, then again, those are the ones I would point people to. I think Rushmore sentimentally because it was the first film of his that I really saw and yeah. recognized as his. Um. You know, I would put Royal Tenenbaums in there. I would put Moonrise Kingdom in there. I think I would also put Bottle Rocket in there still, although that one might get edged out at some point here. French Dispatch is probably creeping in. What about Isle of Dogs um, or Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Fox? Fantastic Mr. Fox before Isle of See, Dogs, the opposite if, of if I was going to do that. I like Isle of so Dogs very that's kind of. And Life Aquatic would be nipping at the heels there too, I guess. Is Darjeeling limited in anybody's top five it's in the room? Mind, I, I, I need to rewatch that one someday, films. but it was definitely my least favorite at the time, and I have never warmed to it mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. And I was a little cooler on Grand Budapest than most people were. Not that I disliked it, but I just I didn't find yeah, it to be uh, as It was my favorite charming. film of that year. Very interesting. So I've never seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's the only one I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't speak on that. But for me, it's Rushmore... Royal Tenenbaums, Grand Budapest, Darjeeling Limited, and probably French Dispatch. That's, right. that's great. Well, guys, we, we've definitely had it out with, uh, we with Wes Anderson mile, We here. talked a mile a minute just like in the film. Well, it's, yeah. it inspires you that way, no right? It, it pushes you in that direction. Um, did this pastry goes uh, inspire you at all as we were doing that discussing? In a word for me, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was light and so easy to drink. And we've had in the recent past many situations where the adjunct just did not do it for many of us in the room. This peach is so subtle. It's heavy on the nose, but so subtle in the flavor. It makes it go down just that much more smoothly and easily. I'm going to say it's a big win for me from Blue Owl. <laughs> I, I like it a lot myself. I, I think it is a gosa, so it's not, I mean, it's a pastry gosa, but it's not super heavy. It, it it has a lightness to it, uh, but definitely the peach is there. The vanilla is there. Um, you know, could it use a little more body? Could it go for like that imperial goes? Maybe, but that that's I think a small uh, wish that I that I might have. I, I found this really drinkable, and I could easily crush a couple cans of no this doubt. on a hot day, and it would be yeah. very lovely. Yeah, I love the way that the cinnamon kind of intermingles yeah. with the flavors uh, mm-hmm. in this and it's a unusual kind of flavor profile for a beer of this kind and so it is a little bit tart but that cinnamon yeah and and the vanilla brings a little sweetness to it um that i think makes this a very unique beer yeah and i think from for what they set out to do I can't imagine a way to execute this any better. Yeah. Good job. Unless, of course, they want the Imperial route. Yeah, yeah. No, but the, and I don't want them to. I think yeah. this is good for what it is. If they want to do another version later, awesome. But, I mean, as a sour peach cobbler beer, it nails it. Crushed this, it. This is great. So we will see if the second half of our episode is as outstanding and universally beloved as the first half was when we come back.
And are we? Jeez, I don't know, guys. That 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 first half that was a lot to a lot to bite off and chew there in that in that first half. Uh, Wes Anderson does not make it easy on us. Uh, I actually don't know if I got that, and we're back in the recording. I think I might have said oh, it no. too soon. You got to start again. <laughs> it's all right. Finally, I it's got all right. In. Okay, we're we're in. We're it's, in. It's my fault. Do I need to it's repeat what I just no, said? No, okay, you're all right. Good, okay. You're good. Um. So, <laughs> so I'm excited. I fucked up. <laughs> I'm excited to get talking about. Uh, this other film that we've decided to pair with it, which we, I've already kind of alluded to, we're going in the French New Wave direction. Um, so we'll get there soon. But before we get to the French New Wave, we need to get to some new beer in our glass. And that new wave of beer is... David, you brought these, but do you mind if I talk about Please it a Please do, bit? Joe. A friend of mine sent me a picture of this beer. This is Martin House Brewing. They're, they're, they're friends of the show at this point. We've done them a handful of times, it feels like, out of Fort Worth, Texas. This is their pretzel stout, limited release peanut butter, 6.5 ABV. Uh, my friend, who's not a craft beer enthusiast, said, what the hell is this? Pretzels and a peanut butter. New York City. And then First he, of all. And he said, I, I didn't think this was good. Have you ever had a, and I was like, well, hold on. There's adjuncts and da da da. And he goes, you send me a picture of one beer that's good that has peanut butter in it. And I'll I, send you so many. I pictures. sent him the Untitled Art uh, peanut butter cup stout that so we good. had on the show yeah. that was yeah. just uh, decadent and delicious. Yeah. But um, so Both that being said, fight people over peanut butter beers. I'm going into this beer. This if pretzel it can stout. be done poorly. I mean, I've well, I've, I've, candy, I've I've had peanut butter beers. We've had some on now, the show that we didn't like that had peanut butter as an adjunct. I, I doesn't I doesn't ridiculous AF have peanut butter? Yes. 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 Tasty as chocolate. Uh, ridiculous is chocolate and peanut butter and it's very good so yeah so so uh i'm excited to drink this it pours like a great stout should nice and black great nice i'm getting some peanut butter on the nose that's exciting so also peanut butter and pretzels really belong together they do they do you're right the the little pretzel nuggets filled with peanut butter that's what i'm talking about or combos yeah 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 fucks (laughs) So, oh, a lot of peanut butter on the nose. I can a it, lot it, of it may just I, be my imagination. It's, I was about to say, may yeah, my yeah. maybe my imagination. But I'm small. I'm Ma- smelling pretzel. Martin House may have set us up for some success here in this second half. Um, a beer that maybe isn't going to challenge but us nearly as much as a film. A, what is a film? <laughs> is this your impersonation of people I speaking know, French in Paris? Yeah. <laughs> That's my, that's my French Okay, well, the, the reason why we're getting Carlos is, and we can definitely make fun of French accents. We we, we can't do that with a lot. But, I, hope the, I hope the French are making fun of American accents. Oh, even oh gosh, yeah. they do every Having spent some spent a small amount of time there, Absolutely. they definitely are. Um, so, you know, so we're staying in France. We're moving from Ennui to Paris. Um, and we're looking at a film in the early part of Jean-Luc Godard's career. Godard, of course, being one of the main figures of the French New Wave, coming out of uh, being a, a film critic in the 50s at Cahiers du Cinéma with uh, Francois Truffaut, Claude Chabrol, all these other great uh, critics who turned directors, and then others around them, Agnes Varda, of course. Um, in in this kind of mix of creative ferment that was going on in the late 50s, early 60s, as these filmmakers who loved some of what had come out of Hollywood in the years before, and to a, to a lesser extent France, they, they really kind of, you know, took, took Hollywood as kind of their inspiration in a lot of ways, um, but wanted to do things differently and stir things up and do things in ways that 
people hadn't seen before, use techniques that hadn't been used before, um, or at least in ways that they hadn't been used before. And Godard, you know, of course, comes blazing uh, as a feature filmmaker with his film Breathless, which many will at least recognize the name, if not the actual film, but Jean-Paul Belmondo, this kind of interesting take on the gangster film uh, of sorts. Uh, of course, follows it up with a couple others. But the film that we chose to look at was his fourth film, um, in part because Viva Savi, or which gets translated in various ways. My life the, to live. the title itself is kind of a fun play on words. Godard liked playing with words and, and a lot of things. Um, his second film, A Woman Is a Woman, is kind of a, a joke and sort of like that. You know, it it is a homophone for. A woman is terrible or something. Anyway, so you you have him being playful here with saying like to to live the life, the life being the prostitute's life uh-huh. in France. It's generally referred to as the life when people talk about that. So this is the story of a young woman being played by Anna Karina, who is at this time Godard's wife and stars in a number of his films throughout the early part of his career in the 1960s. She's the lead character. She plays Nana. She is a woman who has been married, has had a child, but has decided to leave that life. We don't really get a whole lot of information there. We see her kind of breaking up with her husband as the film begins. Um, and, and it's he, and he separated. Wasn't surprised. No, no, he takes it very well. Actually, yeah, they, play, <laughs> they, they have a parting game of pinball. Yes, um, and then they go to the. <laughs> they meet up later. It's very. The, but it's split into twelve segments, and in part that's why we decided to choose this because. As an episodic kind of film, it has a little bit of a spiritual connection, I think, with Anderson and this idea of the anthology breaking things up. Although it does follow this character fairly continuously, even though it does jump forward in time and kind of bring new characters in without necessarily introducing them as, you know, sort of traditionally as we might in other films. And that's what Godard's all about, is like upsetting our expectations, doing things that are going to potentially even alienate us, right? I think of all of his films, this is, you know, one of the first that really got um, tagged as a difficult film. Let's put it that way, because he does that first scene that we see where Nana is uh, breaking up with her husband or, or confirming that, no, she is not coming home and she's staying where she is and she's going to try to become an actress or some or a model or something of that sort. Um, it's almost completely takes place with the back, their backs to the camera, right? The, it's shot with the backs of their heads. There is a mirror that we're, you can see like an out of focus. Yeah. And if you're not used to this, I'm sitting, I'm watching this. It's on HBO Max now. Yeah. This is odd. <laughs> uh, we're not seeing the faces of the characters, but we are certainly immediately engrossed in a very real conversation yeah and one that should and then be the camera really begins emotional. to kind of pan left and right no, rather dolly left and right mm-hmm. you're getting you're getting a glimpse of the faces saying these mm-hmm. words and then finally you know you, you you see their faces yeah in a more traditional shot right so you know and and i'll just it's the first little taste that you're about to see something very different Right, right. And so as we progress through these 12 chapters or whatever we're going to call them, essentially she does try to become somebody in the entertainment world. That goes nowhere, but quickly finds out that there is money to be made in selling one's body, um, is brought in as a prostitute at 
by a pimp eventually, um, introduced to the life, um, so to speak, and, and great detail. I mean, there's a, one whole segment that yeah. is really just kind of like this laundry listing, which was really based on a sociological study of prostitutes sure. that had been done this is around the that pimp, time. I think his name is Raul. Yeah. Uh, voiceovering. Right. Um, you, you, you'll exchange this much money will, yeah, for this amount of time. This you, is yeah. you, will, you will do this. You will go to this type of hotel. You will uh, on Saturdays they, and Sundays. This is the quota. I mean, just kind of matter of factly in this business. Yeah, these are the rules, right? right. And and then we're watching her follow the rules, and that that's that montage of her doing the things as they are being listed signifies you know six months maybe i don't even know but six eight twelve months maybe goes by where now she's become seasoned in the game as opposed to the first time that she does it where she it's it's so uncomfortable to watch because the john is trying to kiss her on the mouth and she doesn't want to be kissed on the mouth she's this is her first go she kind of slips into it i mean she's just walking in the area and somebody picks her up and she decides to go along with it she doesn't even know oh that's the place we go okay great yeah Yeah. okay we'll go in and and she'd been trying to borrow two thousand francs from different Everybody. people that she works for. <laughs> Everybody. But this trick gets her a 5,000. So you could see right. someone in that, and she's in dire straits. I mean, there's yeah. the, the, what, the second One of the segments is segments. a police inquisition where she has tr- tried Maybe, to steal a thousand yeah. franc bill from the ground. But and I thought that even more painful than that was her being locked out of her apartment by yeah. the, the landlord and that she can't get the key and right. she, she's getting desperate because now I've got no money. I've got no place to live. Yeah. And you can see how someone in that situation could be lured with the fast money of prostitution yeah. and then just quickly, it's shown quickly. I don't know how long that sequence yeah. is, but that's just become her life. Right. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. So, and and Godard does, I think, again, like I said, he challenges the audience to a certain extent. He, it's, you know, he's doing things willfully not to have us just slip into connecting with the character. You know what I mean? Which seems counterintuitive. Why don't you want us to relate? Like, this is a story of somebody being, you know, lured into a life that is going to chew her up and spit her out. And well, well, perhaps I say sad. I think it's sad. That's mm-hmm. my subjectivity right. on this subject yeah. matter. It appears that she's not happy with this life. Right. No. And I'm not saying, yeah, th- this isn't me saying that sex work is all terrible. I mean, p- people, I, I know there are happy people who do that, but this film is not depicting that. No. This film is depicting somebody who's being brought in by people who do not have her best interests in mind, who are going to use her up. And put her in situations that ultimately, I mean, let's be frank, you know, she dies on the street at the very end of this film because her pimp is trying to sell her to another pimp. And, and there's some kind of altercation. All of a sudden, yeah. And even though there's a gunfight, she gets bullets from both sides. Yeah. And then she's lying like dead in the street like a dog. Yeah. And I almost texted you guys, but I thought that I might be playing. We try not to talk about the films until you guys are in the record store talking without me. And, and I said, <laughs> I almost texted y'all immediately, not knowing who had seen it already. David, had you seen it prior to us watching it for the show? I had seen it years Carlos, ago. Carlos, you? Yeah. I had never I had seen never, it. I had never seen it either. What the fuck are y'all trying to do to me? This is a gut punch, this ending. Yeah. Because yeah. even though... Oh, yeah. No, because it's... And, it, and he gives you so this... It's so sudden. It's going to be good, right? Like, she's found a guy who wants to come live with me. You don't have to be part of this. Oh, I'm going to go leave Raul. Wait. <laughs> she's not going to leave Raul. No. It's gone. Yeah. It's no, done. It, it, her death 
was a gut punch. And, and it was at that moment that I realized just how emotionally invested I was in her story and yeah. her as an actress and her, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the plight of someone in that situation. Well, I think I think ultimately where I finally do connect with the character, because like I say, I do think that there is something holding, holding me at arm's length, right? That opening breakup, whatever we want to call that. Um, you know, that that's a classic scene that should lock me into the character, that should make me, okay, these characters, she's troubled, she doesn't want to be pinned down to the life of being a housewife and a mother, and, you know, but you don't get the emotion of it. They're not even showing me their facial expressions, and he's reacting so benignly to it. It's just kind of like, yeah, okay, well, we'll do this, yeah, but, you know, like, he's not upset, really, he doesn't really, you know. Um, so... Where am I going to get it? But I think where I actually get hooked in is that actual, the 11th segment right before she dies, where she sits down and has that long conversation with the philosopher uh, at at the cafe and just... A, r- a random character. We've never seen him before. You know, kind of talks about six, seven, eight minute talk. how tough words are, how much like w- all we can do is think through words. Do words actually capture the meanings we want them to? These guys, like these big questions that they're kind of wrestling with there in the booth that... You see, she's she is deep. She has thoughts. She has feelings. She has motivations that go beyond anything we've actually seen prior to that in the film. She's yeah. twenty two. You well, know that, what I mean? That's I mean that scene is really interesting too because it's almost like it's, it's so different than the rest of the film. It's very different, but it's almost like Jean Luc Godard is setting up the French existentialist to have a debate with the logicians from the Vienna circle that took over the American universities mm. in the, around world war one and two, um, and kind of setting the stage for them to like duke it out in an interesting way. I mean, like, you know, when you, when you talk about 20th century philosophy, I mean, you talk about Sartre and Camus from like the headier, more feeling kind of French existentialist absurdist movement or whatever. And then you talk about the Vienna circle that came from Austria that, emigrated to the United States that were like full on logicians, like math, like mathematicians that spent all of this time literally trying to decide what the means. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And talking about like, I mean, you know, you have guys like Ludwig Wittgenstein that wrote an entire manifesto that ended with that, which one does not know of one should not speak i mean you know <laughs> like coming to these absurd conclusions after doing so much rigorous work and like uh, like grappling with the fact that our thoughts and our understanding of the world and different issues and different ideas are inhibited by the constraints of language you know mm-hmm. um and so it was like very interesting to have this film where like you're watching this decade long conversation between people, things that have been going on for forever and that still continue the conversations that still continue to go on today in philosophical circles in this just smaller Mm -hmm. 10 minute sequence. I mean, it's the efficiency with which such a massive subject is able to be boiled down yeah. to such a concise scene is and probably truly one of the magnificent most relatable sequences in the film because yeah. it's done in a very casual manner and there's not like 
the, you know, the, and I'm forgetting the guy's name who actually, because he is a philosopher right. who uh, had actually taught he's even playing himself. Bryce Perrain. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that he he's not using jargon, at least the way they translate it. I, I should say that, you know, I can't yeah. confirm that. The, but, you know, and she's very comparatively plain spoken. Um, you know, is this a challenging film? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've yeah. already named a few things, but I think it's interesting that especially in that sequence, it, it's taking something that could be a lot more challenging, <clears throat> distilling it and turning it into something that I think is a fairly relatable conversation that because it all just starts with have you ever had that experience of you want to say something but you don't know how to put it into the right words yeah totally relatable everybody's had it and you you think and you jump from there yeah (laughs) and it's and it's it's an interestingly profoundly deep turn in the film yeah you know, like I mean, right before we snuff out this character. No, hold yeah. on. I want to. I want to make sure that you're right about this, David. Uh, and I'm not doubting you. But okay. That's the eleventh of the twelve. Oh, the 12 I think it's segments. either tenth or eleventh. It's eleventh. Okay, okay. And then so immediately after that, yeah, yeah. Uh, my memory is not serving me right then because what after I watched from from the beginning of that conversation to the end, yeah, I went back and started the beginning of that conversation again. Okay. Through the end. Yeah. Because because he's. He's hitting you over the head with, okay, there's a point here, guys. It's there's, fucking dense. Yeah, yeah. There's it's a there's dense sequence. The conversation is. Yeah. 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 And of course, I, I, I don't have the benefit of knowing French, so I'm reading it yeah. while trying to keep one eye on the screen. I don't know if y'all do that when no, you yeah. do subtitles. Oh, the, I and hate this film, lost in this in film specifically, it's tough. This one I rewatched. I mean, I had seen it before, but even after watching it the first time again, mm-hmm. I will rewatch it again this afternoon because. I felt like I was so focused on the subtitles that I really wanted to take some time to take in the visuals because I knew there was more going on there than sure. I am. Yeah. Especially even in that first sequence because you can see their reflections yeah. in that mirror, but you're reading the entire right. time because just like French Dispatch, I mean, this is a dialogue-dense film. You yeah. Know? And yeah, there is. I it struck me on a number of occasions throughout the different vignettes where I was like, I know that there's a lot visually happening that I am missing right now because yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with the subtitles. But yeah, I I would suggest it is right it it is right after they have that conversation that she's killed. Well, they, there there's that, and then you see her in the the bedroom with the the John who's reading Edgar Allan Poe who wants her to yeah. come live with him and and. and uh, Get out of the business. Right. And then it's right after that that we see her with Raul and she's, yeah. Yeah, this was a good pick. I mean, when we had a conversation in trying to choose which film, and uh, I made the point of this is one of his lesser known films to a wider audience. In fact, uh, I I like to watch uh, YouTube reviews sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially on a film like this that I, I could use a little assistance with some of the um, context of the French New Wave. I mean, I was reminded that just as uh, Tarantino burst on the scene in an international way, um, uh, Guillermo del Toro, we could go on and on, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Mm -hmm. Anderson, they have these big film festival moments, and then cineastas take the time to go back mm-hmm. in the case for me go back and find bottle rocket because i had not seen it when i saw rushmore mm-hmm. and then the introduction of their next film is important in the film world mm-hmm. and go godar owned this in the 60s internationally yeah and i mean he was 
doing such different work than that than that which was coming out of Hollywood. Yeah, that you know it it shifted cinema even here in Hollywood how esteemed he was as a filmmaker. So yeah. if this is an introduction to him, this is as good a place as any to start because the film is so lush and beautifully shot in that you know black and white. Uh, that th- you really can get lost in it, but not in an in a um, intellectual way. You're there the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy to try to think about how the French New Wave and, and Godard, I think, w- is probably the most luminous figure there. I mean, Truffaut definitely yeah. a close second, but died a little bit earlier and didn't have quite the longevity to his career. But in this he moment... He was like, in Close Encounters. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, it, you know, it, at this point, Godar is, you know, he's a rock star. I mean, yeah. like, he's yeah. literally... he He's, you know... I mean, he's the guy. He's got this uh, young, beautiful wife who's starring in his films. Um, anything he does is sort of like instantly setting the cinema world on fire. Look at how prolific he was in this period, right? I mean, he put out at least a dozen or more films just in the 60s. I mean, this was his fourth film, um, or maybe the third, actually. His third film that came out, you know, rapid succession. The year after this, 1963, he had three films drop, one of those being Contempt, which is still renowned as one of, you know, the great films that come out of the French New Wave, Brigitte Bardot and, the, you know, yeah. Jack Palance. That it, I mean, it's amazing when you think about this guy was like the epitome of cool and, you know, this kind of interesting art world cinema uh-huh. rock star that was out there when... At a time that rock stars weren't even a thing, right? The the British invasion hadn't happened. Like the, the, this was like the epitome of cool. 1960, yeah. 1961, 1962. A Go Dark film came out, and if you were a film nerd like the three of us, you went to go see it. Well, and I think honestly, even if you weren't like, think about the frank sexuality in this film. Now it probably seems tame to us now. I mean, I know it does a little bit seem tame to us, but. There's nudity here. There's um, frank talk about the sex work that they're doing. Uh-huh. Um, the way that it's all kind of handled, the matter-of-factness of the violence in yeah. the film. Like, there is this kind of strange shootout. Like, there, there is the backdrop of the Algerian kind of resistance that was going on at the time that's sort of playing out just in a small way in, that, in one cafe scene towards the middle of the film. Um but then later, her death itself is treated very like bluntly and matter-of-factly. There's a scene that's so sad. She gets uh, John to take her up to the room. Oh, yeah. He says, hey, uh, baby, uh, I'll pay again if we can get some more p- players in the room. Right. Which so you she, don't hear. So she slips off. Right. He, he whispers something. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's what you want. Right. And then she goes looking for She slips for somebody. off, fi- yeah. finds another prostitute, brings her back. And the guy picks the second prostitute, and she just sits on the side of the bed and has nothing to do. She, I mean, which is so sad. Probably the most unbelievable scene of this movie. <laughs> yeah, he likes he likes blondes. I mean, what are you gonna I, do? I think you're into that, but I, but I think there's yes, because I think she you're is right. An objectively stunning. She woman, is, but I mean. th- that's one of the weird things. I mean, not. I mean, you know, she is just constantly. Sp- Bit, you know, chewed up and spit out by everything that she comes, all men mostly, but everything yeah. that she comes into contact with in this film just uses her for the moment and gets rid of her as soon as she, she's not needed anymore. You know what I mean? Like whether it be a landlord, uh, the, you know, the pimp, the, the man the, at the pool hall that the don't give the her the time hall. of day. Right. She does this like Which elaborate. I have questions about that. W- that why, what? 
because they're playing pool, but there's no pockets on the sides. Now What's that's a different game. The, I What's had to look. Game? I had to look it up. Oh my gosh, it's like carom. I think is what it's called. What's the objective? It, <laughs> I was to there it are out. three balls. It's it's a different form of billiards, yeah. basically, and it, it's just it's it is a game, but uh, one that I do not understand. But I had the same thought. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, I never understood bumper pool. I've always thought that was so stupid. All right, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's just interesting because so often. And yeah, it's kind of absurd. I mean, just like it's absurd that, I mean, there's sort of an irony built into every time because it gets talked about quite a bit, especially in a couple of the earlier sequences. She wants to get these photos done so that she can become a star. This person's kind of hustling her and obviously trying to get her to do sexually provocative photos. Okay, if you're nude, probably wants to sell them. Reminded me a lot of uh, Once Upon a Time in the Valley. Yeah, yeah. So you get the was it figure modeling? Yes, that's how they refer right, to it. Right, right, right. But this was pre-porno well, sheet no, for no, sure, know, even know, in France. But, but yeah, it, but it, it had me thinking yeah. of, of 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 that. Yeah. So I mean, you you have her, but it's funny because here is a woman who is beautiful, who is a movie star. And who will only grow in a scene. And so, yeah, literally, she can be a movie star. And everything's being told to her is, is absolutely <laughs> true, except in this film, it's totally false. Yeah. She cannot yeah. become a movie star. And she is totally, which is always kind of like the bind when you have a film about a woman or anybody, really, who's supposed to be, you know, not attractive enough. But, okay, but... But you do know but that you are yeah. <laughs> clearly <laughs> right. But but it kind of makes it all the more ironic. I mean, yeah. it, I don't know. It, it, it builds in this interesting they kind to of give her auto like an, commentary. They yeah. tried to give her an odd haircut. So yeah. Both both yeah. films, yeah. which uh, most people will say is like a reference to you know flapper style Louise Brooks, kind of like early yeah. cinema. But but yeah, I told a friend of mine that I'd seen it, and he uh, asked me. He's got a fifteen year old daughter. He asked me. I'm sorry, French Dispatch. He asked me, uh, why is it rated R? Because I'm sure my daughter's going to want to go see Timothy Chalamet in the next movie that he's in. Mm-hmm. And I said... Um, there are uh, boobs. I can't... I, I think there's a couple <laughs> F words, but there is some nudity. Oh, nudity? I said, well, hold on. It's a woman in stunning black and white cinematography posing for an artist who is drawing her. You, yeah. you also get Tilda Swinton later who, who's posing for... Was that her body, you think? I, I don't know Wait, if it was, but Tilda it definitely... Swinton? You don't remember when she's doing the slideshow and they and, and there's a she's slide like, "Oh, that's oh. me." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love um, that joke. I love that joke. But but the MPAA, uh, you know, now they have smoking, uh, uh, coarse language, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. Uh, uh, graphic nudity, and I guess in French Dispatch, and I guess the graphicness was it was the full form. You see the uppers yeah. and the bottom. In, in in lingering shots, is that does that make it graphic? I guess so. Graphic? I think like, so. I guess graphic yeah. is. I, a synonym for detailed. I guess so. Yeah. I guess. But, yeah. but, yeah, I don't but I think shadowy silly. boobs get you just regular nudity. And then, you know, <laughs> well, there what? were shadows on those boobs. Well, no, but I'm saying, like, I think he's saying silhouetted. Yeah. Or, yeah. Full, yeah this is full blown. This is just this is frontal, well lit. Yeah, um, yeah. But it, 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 it oh, shadowy brings to mind this bedroom. notion yeah, of the yeah. puritanical American concept of sex bad, stupid. violence and language good, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so stupid. these two films side by side really kind of demonstrate that, I thought. Yeah. 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 America's, I mean, backwards in so many different ways, but that's like a 
very clear-cut example. Now you sound like a French guy I mean, making fun of the guy with the American accent. Well, look, <laughs> if I was a French guy, I would do nothing but make fun of Americans. As an American, I do almost nothing but make fun of Americans. I mean, we're a truly laughable, You're a very good miserable group of people. I mean, <laughs> David, I think you The French have their me. own problems. There are but, people yeah. that genuinely listen to everything Tucker Carlson says. I mean, that says everything that we need to know about America as a population. We knew that we wanted to do a French film to Mm -hmm. go along with French Dispatch because uh, Wes Anderson clearly is in love with French cinema Mm -hmm. uh, and and demonstrated in that film. And when it came to Godard, I think I had made the point, now we could do one of his more breathless, Breathless, one of the more well-known films in the sense of it is well known. So when I went to the YouTube to find some reviews about this, mm-hmm. this film is woefully underplayed on the internet. Yeah, it's, it must be one of his lesser films in the sense of there aren't. There's not a lot of ink on this one compared to mm. many of his others. But there yeah. should be. This is a fantastic, beautiful. Like I said, gut punch of a film yeah. that shows you what that French New Wave was really trying to do. Real life. Real life, you know? Yeah. Well, it's it's the kind of movie that makes me want to make movies again. Yeah. I mean, there was a... I mean, there was a time in my life where I was writing screenplays and I was trying to, you know, make things mm-hmm. and, you know, became disillusioned at a certain point and realized that's probably not for me. Uh-huh. That's probably not what I need to be doing. But watching this movie, I was like... Oh no! I have ideas about how to make films, yeah. and yeah. and like I think well, that I think that that type of movie, I mean, or that sensation, I mean, says a lot about the type of film that this is. I if think that it makes sense. it makes perfect sense because that's. I mean, I think for those who've been inspired by the French New Wave, and and for those who were excited about it at the time, part of what was so exciting is it was these guys. Who and and a few ladies who just thought like films are great. We love films, and we think we could do things. Yeah. And wait, let's try doing those things. Hey, how about if we just shoot on location mm-hmm. with people who aren't like big names? Small, okay, let's small try that. Less expensive cameras, you know, like the Italian neorealists did a few years back. Oh wait, what if we, you know, like well, we don't have to, you know behave perfectly when it comes to continuity editing what if we throw in these little jump cuts here or there and we and we kind of oh it kind of feels weird and agitated but but that's all right it'll shake the audience up like what if we tell a story about a type of person who we don't normally tell and in the depth that we do you know like all these things that they just tried out and so i think it's amazing that you can still see it now and see that kind of especially when you put yourself back in the moment and you think like what would this have looked like alongside the other films I would have potentially seen at the cinema in 1961, 1962? Like, yeah. it would have seemed very different. It would have seemed like yeah. a world apart from it. So, um, so yeah. So I'm I'm glad that it still inspires you to this day. Yeah. I think that, and it clearly inspires Wes Anderson in in what he does. Even at this stage in his career, he can look back and it back on this period and say, "There's a lot, a lot that was going on that's worth." worth keeping in the mix, worth putting out there and, and trying new things mm-hmm. with. I also really loved uh, the song she danced to in the billiard room. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know what swim? it was. It was like, they I talk about it up, swimming a lot, I think. It's a, yeah. It was a good song. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. And it made me wish I had been around for the mod beat 
yeah. 60s thing. Okay, so... The yeah, yeah. Movie, yeah. hit. Beer, hit. Movie, hit. Is this a perfect episode? What you guys think of this Martin House pretzel stuff that my friend thought wasn't that great? It... Uh... <laughs> Somebody. Anybody? It, 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 didn't, it didn't hit as well for me as the first one did. Uh-huh. I certainly don't think it's a failure. I certainly don't think that it's bad. Mm-hmm. I the flavor in the nose does not translate to the flavor in my mouth. That is correct. And so I would put this whereas Viva Savi is an incredible film. Mm-hmm. I would put this as a good beer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I think this is this is a It's not an incredible beer, it is a good beer. Yeah, I would I would go, you know, step above good, maybe, very good, but the, but not by much. I mean, it's it's a really tasty beer. Um, I agree with Joe that the peanut butter that you had on the nose does not come in in the flavor as strongly as you might want it to, especially given what you smell when you first pour it or, you know, as you're lifting the glass to your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not very heavy either. So I kind of appreciate that. You know, a lot of times with these kind of sweeter um you know, stouts with that. Yeah, this isn't really pastry stout, but I guess it's kind of going in that direction. Definitely um, uh, leaning it, that way. You know, I, I appreciate that it's not over the top. It's still got a pretty good body to it. I mean, like it hangs around on the palate a little bit there. Uh, I think, you know, Martin House, it's a good beer. I, I would definitely uh, drink another can of it. I don't know that I'll go seeking it out but it looks like it's kind of a limited thing and maybe they run through different flavors that they I mean match. look if, if I was at a if I was at a bar or a restaurant if mm-hmm. I was at a restaurant and I had just finished my meal and I was going to order another beer mm-hmm. and I saw this I'd get this yeah I would order it for sure yeah. I if I'm at the grocery store and I or at the liquor store or whatever and I see a ton of different options and this is one of them there are probably things I would take over this. Yeah. As far as buying a whole pack of it is concerned. Right. But I, you know, it's a great aperitif if you're like trying to. <laughs> there you go. Close out a meal Br- or whatever. And bring just, it back uh, to the French. Know. Yeah. I like it um, when they put this kind of thing on the can. I just quickly found it on Martin House's website. The original pretzel stout brewed with plenty of roasted crystal and chocolate malts and over six pounds of sourdough pretzels per barrel. Okay. So they're actually putting yeah. the sourdough pretzels into the, the barrels as they're aging them. This stout has a roasty and salty profile whose sum is greater than its parts. Um, it's got a metallic overtone in the flavor that's just hitting my palate that way. Mm, and I didn't can't, get that. I can't describe it to you or tell you why or what I think the reason is. But Though I think we're getting close. You, you've definitely mentioned this a few times where we had, I feel like we got to take a, note. Take yeah. note. This is one of the metallic ones. Yeah. Put that on the spreadsheet so that okay. from now on we <laughs> Joe, can be like, where metallic. are the metallic ones? Oh, anytime it's peanut butter and chocolate. There's, we get, there's no, some, not that, not there's, that untitled art. There's some gene that you have that's similar, similar to. To the cilantro, cilantro. <laughs> soap, you're right, but I can't tell it you might what be it a is. yeast strain. Who knows? It it's not stout. Yeah. No, it might be a yeast thing. Actually, I, I think, think we've I think had David's a pretzel beer before. Yeah. I don't think we have had a pretzel. It's a specific Although, yeast strain. I'll tell you, when we were at the theater to watch French Dispatch, mm. Alma Draft House has a special menu right now, or like some fall selections. It's like four different things: a couple food items and a couple drink items. And my friend Nathan looks over at me and he's like, "You know." I, I don't like when people try to put pretzel in non-pretzel places. 
And I was like, you know what? I couldn't agree with you less. I love pretzel what, what, did they, what did they have? Like a, that it's was like pretzel? a Bavarian pizza that has a pretzel crust. Oh, I, was like, I, okay. I was like, I love pretzel crust pizza. I love pretzel crust on a hot dog. I love pretzel yeah. rolls. I love pretzel shit. <laughs> so I did love, you get the pretzel pizza? I've had it before and oh, it's okay. good. Okay. It's really good. Um, I love fucking pretzels in yeah. general. I mean, Me too. Uh, they're fucking good. And so, I, I, I prefer I soft like over hard. I, 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 I do prefer the soft pretzel yeah, for sure. I, yeah. And uh, the only reason I don't get the pretzel at Alamo anymore is because they no longer offer the stone ground mustard. It's just cheese or nothing. And the stone ground mustard that they used to have was so fucking good. Do, do they even have like a yellow mustard that they could give you? No. No. Wow. No. All right. I Which quickly, I wouldn't want anyway. Yellow mustard sucks. I quickly Googled why do some beers taste metallic and there's 25 different answers. Oh, so. <laughs> that that, 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 that sounds like an after hours <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, well, you know, maybe not an absolute A plus on the end of the episode here with, with the Martin House, but, but a solid, I think, uh, performer here, maybe good, in the B, B, good pl- B plus range. A minus. A minus I good. Mean, right. I mean, because I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, I don't have major complaints about this beer. No, nothing off about it. Nothing off. Nothing other bad. than maybe metallic. For well, Joe. Yeah, yeah, for Joe. Nothing off. Nothing bad. Could it have been better? Yes. Could it have been worse? So much. Worse. Oh yeah. Yeah. Could have been so much oh, yeah. worse. And so I no, think this for is not what they are going beer. for. No. They hit exactly with. I mean, if they called this the pretzel pastry double fudge spectacular <laughs> but you know they yeah, throw, yeah i mean yeah. if they build it that way then yeah maybe i'd be like okay you guys miss the mark but for what they're going for they hit the nail on the head it's, I our, would say. it's our fourth from martin house with force we started it all off with that best that made pickle sour pickle yeah. Beer. yeah yeah then we had the statement of purpose maybe, maybe you should what was the statement of purpose it was. Oh, a, it's yeah. an American stout. We did it when we talked about Godzilla versus Kong. Right. Interesting. And then I remember yeah. the bubblegum one. Yeah. Bubblegum eyes with a yeah. Z. I remember the uh, lactose sour. I'm thinking, Carlos, you need to with write Candyman. Need to write them a note and uh, suggest that they do a stone ground mustard uh, variant oh, yeah. on, the, on, yeah. on the pretzel. <laughs> and then nacho cheese, because that's also a fun cheese, dip yeah. for a soft pretzel. Nacho cheese, yeah, for sure. Well, um, more about pretzels than after hours. I mean, look, look, Martin House made a ranch flavored beer, so I don't think a oh, stone ground right. mustard beer is. Oh my is god, far you're, you're absolutely the right. These are the guys who would do it. They, they <laughs> you got to send the suggestion. <laughs> I got it. I'll, I'll, I'll drop a line. I mean, we know that they listen to this podcast, so yeah. they'll probably hear it anyway but i will send them a line uh speaking of sending a line the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end when the episode ends it continues on all of your favorite social media channels so you can find us in all of those places on twitter at beer movie show instagram at beer in a movie facebook.com slash beer in a movie tx of course beer in a movie podcast.com is where you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes absolutely for free but you can also find this incredible map that shows all of the different beers from all of the different breweries fully and all updated di- fully updated in all of the different states and all of the different countries that we have visited i mean it is astounding to me looking back on it how much beer we have drank on this show we're creeping from up on 400 50 states yep. 12 countries 12 
12 countries. Which I, I'm not as happy with that number. I, we, we could flex our muscle and go a little more international we could, from but, time to time. But, but, our, but our first goal is 50 states. We achieved it. I'm very proud of us for having done that because some of those states were not easy to accomplish, but we did it. We made it happen. And so that is a really uh, kind of fun thing to look at, if, especially if you're new to the podcast and you haven't uh, been with us for all 170 episodes, you can go back and kind of see some of yeah, those things. All, we've the, had all the, the breweries are alphabetical. So if you were curious, if we've had your favorite brewery, you can find it on that map and then the episode number that we had it on there. And if we haven't had that brewery, well, then that is your opportunity to send, send us, send us beer. beer from your favorite brewery so that we can do it on the show and talk about it. Um, in a rare occurrence, we have at any point mentioned the Patreon or after hours episodes, this episode, uh, normally we do, we did not in this case, but we do have a Patreon and we do a bonus episode every single week. Uh, you can find that on patreon.com slash beer movie podcast, $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Yes. We talk about beer. Yes, we talk about movies, but we also talk about a great many other things. Uh, we talk about the TV shows we're watching, the records that we're listening to, the other podcasts that we like, stuff going on in our personal lives. Uh, it is a great time, and it is a very low cost of entry to get that yeah. excellent Come on. bonus content. So help us out. Help us. Uh, to be able to produce the most high-quality podcast that we absolutely can. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. We know that you're going to give us that five-star rating, but please leave a written review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. And as always, we love everyone that listens to this podcast. Thank you for joining us again for another uh, spectacular existentialist episode. Until next time. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. Thank you.